While life has always provided fodder for colorful dinner conversations, 2020 has taken things up a notch. Debates over masks, vaccines, or the next presidential election can be productive, but at a time when our mental health feels like it's hanging by a razor-thin thread, the final test of whatever patience we had left is likely to take place at the kitchen table. Futile as attempts may seem, don't back away. While tricky conversations about polarizing issues can lead to heated arguments, experts have come up with practical methods that can help get your point across and avoid an awkward standoff. And these key persuasion strategies can leave you armed and ready for any delicate conversation to come. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story is about the science-backed way to win an argument. By rethinking how we approach people's barriers to change, we can actually come together and see eye to eye, even on the most difficult subjects. Our second story tackles one of the year's most heated debates, the COVID-19 vaccine. While scientists have long studied how to persuasively discuss vaccines, the coronavirus pandemic presents new challenges. Luckily, research offers hope for productive conversations, as well as new evidence that people can actually be convinced. This is The Abstract, a look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now, a look at how to win an argument and actually change someone's mind. I trust in you, gentlemen. Don't fight me here. I'll win. Basically, you can't win this fight. You won't change my mind. I'll win that fight for you and me. Nobody's going to change my mind. And you're not going to win an argument. And if I win the argument, he'll have to unban me. I'm not going to change my mind. Homie, you can win this argument. He's trying to win the argument. Not going to change my mind. You're not going to change my mind. Next argument. I won't change my mind on anything. You won't change my mind. I'm sorry. Nothing can make me change my mind. Nothing was ever going to change my mind. I'm not going to win this argument. No. I got in a fight. Did you win? The products we buy, the services we use, and the ideas we have all have one thing in common. Our extreme emotional attachment. As a result, we build logic around those things to support them. It's called confirmation bias, and it's real. It's a phenomenon prevalent in every kind of belief and subsequent choice we make. And while people can get stuck in their ways and beliefs, it is possible to change someone's mind. It just requires rethinking the whole approach. Instead of pushing someone to bend to your will, Inverse's Ali Patillo is here to talk about how employing some key strategies can lead to far better outcomes down the line. Hey, Ali. Hey, Tanya. So we tend to think that if you present a reasonable case, you know, facts, figures, data, solid information, that one can sway any reasonable person's opinion. But as we well know, that doesn't seem to be the case often. So why doesn't it ever seem to play out like this? Yeah, I mean, I think what it comes down to is that when we push people, they often push back. You know, they react, they get defensive. And that's because even though we might not realize it, we might not like to think this way, our beliefs and emotions, they're rooted in logic and fact, typically, but they're full of feelings and emotions. So they're not completely rational. They're just full of our gut reactions. And so what happens is that we then look for and build logic around those existing emotional attachments. We look for information and ideas that confirm our existing beliefs rather than challenges them. And that's something called confirmation bias. And that's what makes having these conversations and sometimes even arguments so 
so difficult. And also what tends to happen is, you know, if we're too direct or forceful, a common reaction is to get defensive. What tends to be some of the most common forces driving someone to stick so adamantly to their guns? Yeah, I mean, every situation is specific and individual. I mean, I think we can all think of a variety of different situations. Maybe we're arguing with our kind of crazy uncle or a friend or even a colleague. Um, Everyone has different reasons for reacting in a certain way, but there are common barriers that can prevent people from changing their mind. And so for this story, I interviewed a marketing expert named Jonah Berger, who wrote a book called The Catalyst, How to Change Anyone's Mind. So he's been studying kind of decision-making and belief systems for a really long time. And he identified five different key barriers. So the first one is kind of the one we've talked about, which is reactance. It's people's tendency to be defensive and push back when they are pushed. The second one is called endowment, and that's actually the amount of time or money someone has already sunk into a belief or practice. So they become attached to what they're doing already. They don't want to change because they've, you know, they have a history or habit of doing something already. The third is distance. So that's actually when people can't relate to another perspective or idea because it seems like too much of a leap beyond their current imagination or too far from their current beliefs. The fourth is uncertainty. So that's just when new things or new ideas just feel too risky to try or adopt. And the last is corroborating evidence, um, which is when people simply demand more information or proof to change. And those are kind of the main things that come up again and again um, in these conversations. And it all makes sense. It's almost as if you have too much to lose. But there are some tactics that make breaking through these walls a little bit easier. So I thought we'd maybe go through a couple of them. Finding the gaps for one, you know, the idea that you can get someone to persuade themselves. That can obviously go a long way. How can we better do that? Yeah, this is a great strategy. Um, And the idea is that you want to find a hole in someone else's thinking. So you point things out from a different angle. So one example um, that Jonah Berger told me was that say a colleague is reluctant to wear a mask at work or in the office, you ask them, well, would you wear them if your kid was around or if your elderly parent were in the office? And you kind of ask them why that same care or concern isn't present with their colleagues. And when you present it from that new angle, they might think, oh, wow, I haven't thought about it that way. That's a really valid point. I'm going to reconstruct my belief system and maybe I'll wear a mask. But it's kind of showing them that there's something they hadn't thought about when they were making that decision. Mm -hmm. There's some other subtle approaches like this, like, for example, giving someone a choice. Yeah. So it seems like, you know, a good approach would be doing all your research, coming up with the best option and then kind of mandating it on the people around you, whether that's maybe some colleagues that you manage or it's even your family and you're deciding what restaurant to go to. You think, oh, I've done all the research. This is the best option. But when that happens, that takes away people's autonomy and their freedom. And it makes them feel like, oh, well, I haven't had a choice in any of this. So the idea is to provide a menu of options so that they feel like they have more control over the outcome. And they can all be options that you you know, are okay with and have researched and think are great options, but you kind of trick them into thinking that they have a choice. And this helps people feel kind of resist their or reduce their kind of gut resistance to something. And, and again, they'll kind of persuade themselves into one option over another versus just feeling like something is coming from the top. Right. Again, and there's that control issue. And to that, fear comes into play and cutting through that fear 
can often lend itself to just really connecting with someone, communicating better. Oftentimes, people are afraid of change. So how do we reach someone who's, let's say, prone to this type of risk aversion? Yeah, this is a really important one, and I think comes up a lot when we talk about politics. And it's basically the idea is that a lot of times people are making decisions out of fear and out of these perceived risks that may or may not be rooted in reality. And so one of the best ways to get around that is to actually share your own personal experience and show, oh, that idea um, or that thing going on isn't as scary as you think because I've I've had this experience and you know me and it's not quite as far away or distant as it seems. And that can really help people think, oh, well, I get it now. You know, I can see that working in my own life and people can kind of come around. And again, these all seem to fall in line with a similar theme, right? Find the existing roadblock and don't be pushy. Because, you know, it sounds easy enough, but it's something that you need to work at, right? I'm assuming some patience ultimately has to come in in some significant way. Absolutely. I mean, I think none of these strategies are instantaneous. These conversations, anytime you're you're disagreeing or arguing or you're just trying to convince someone to, to see things from your perspective, that's a difficult process. And it may take repeated attempts. But if you use these strategies, um, rather than kind of pushing someone to bend to your will, they're far likelier to lead to better outcomes down the line. And everybody's happier in the process because you don't just feel like you're you're butting heads, you're actually moving towards something together. Very good. Really useful information um, in the current climate, that's for sure. Ali has more at inverse.com. Thanks so much, Ali. Thanks, Tanya. Twenty twenty is a banner year for talking over tricky subjects at the table. It's likely you'll eventually arrive at one inevitable endpoint, the coronavirus vaccine. Up next, five tips for talking to vaccine-hesitant people about the coronavirus and how it may prove to be a hugely important conversation. Many world leaders and organizations are working towards finding a vaccine against the novel coronavirus. At the same time, we also have a growing anti-vaccine movement. A vaccine is only effective if people take it. And I understand that people have concerns. These people who don't believe in vaccines, what's going to happen with those people? Anti-vaccination protests have now already begun all across Europe and even in America. we got to get it right, because if we don't, it might have a real negative impact in the long range, in the long term, to the need for vaccination. Vaccines can be a hot-button issue, especially between friends and family. This year, or perhaps next, will face a new challenge in vaccine resistance, hesitance to receive a vaccine against the novel coronavirus. Inverse spoke with social science and psychology experts about how to talk about the COVID-19 vaccine with a hesitant person in a productive way. It may prove to be a hugely important conversation, and there is evidence that people can be convinced. It's all about the approach, and there's a science to it. Here to explain more is Inverse's Emma Batwell. Hey, Emma. Hey, Tanya. How are you? Good. So first off, what is the pushback looking like with regards to COVID-19? Are there stats? Yeah, there are some stats, sort of emerging stats now. So there was just to rattle off a few of them, there is an August Gallup poll suggesting that 35% of respondents were not likely to get a free coronavirus vaccine if it was ready right now. But just sort of a side note, that really varied vastly by age and political affiliation too. So I think that there are some more complicated dynamics there, but it does sort of speak to the fact 
that there are people who don't really want to get a coronavirus vaccine. And there was also, it's not just that poll, 33% of 1,112 respondents to a CNN poll also said they wouldn't seek out a coronavirus vaccine. And Politico also did their own poll on that that actually had some slightly better news, which is that 46% of people would get a vaccine, but based on the advice of their family. Okay, therein lies a window of hope. And scientists have looked into this, you know, how to have this discussion with those who are pushing back. They've studied how to have this talk for decades. But how has the coronavirus presented new challenges? Yeah, I mean, for one, we're talking about adults getting a vaccine. A lot of times when we talk about vaccine hesitancy or, you know, talking to people about why they should get a vaccine, you're trying to tell a parent about the importance of vaccinating their child. And that's kind of what we see with the measles vaccine, for instance. That was sort of a big topic of conversation last year is how do you convince somebody that they should get a vaccine that's, you know, 97 plus percent effective and safe. And that's a whole conversation when you're making a decision on behalf of a child. But for this, we're, we're talking about adults who have to make decisions on behalf of themselves. And in many cases, very, very specific categories of adults who will have access to a vaccine first, like older adults or adults with certain underlying conditions that make coronavirus worse. So that is definitely going to mean we're going to have some slightly different themed conversations. So if we do end up you know, at that dinner table, there are two main strategies that can help. So I figured we'd kind of just break them down. Uh, the first one is the cognitive approach. Can you talk a little bit about that strategy and how we can use it when we are faced with this conversation? Yes. So spoiler alert, this is not the best approach. Okay. So the cognitive approach is about vaccine science. And a few ways to go about this are what you don't want to do is lecture people about vaccine science that tends to be counterproductive. And I have a couple of sources say this. Um, So the sources that I spoke to said the first thing you really want to do is just ask people what their concerns are. Don't assume that you know. And once you learn what someone's actual concerns are, you can sort of make your appeal more targeted instead of rattling off, you know, statistics from, by the way, studies that are not even complete yet. And that kind of leads me to the second thing. At this point, sort of want to avoid specifics. There are many hundreds of vaccines in preclinical studies and a handful of vaccines in phase three trials, which is sort of the largest stage of human testing. So we don't actually know which vaccines, and there will probably be more than one, are going to be available in your area, let alone available to this person specifically. So trying to pin down exact facts about what the safety of these individual vaccines when we don't have the science yet is sort of fraught. Um, So in general, you don't really want to get too bogged down in fact-for-fact debates about vaccine safeties when you're dealing with all these different candidates. And unfortunately, you are going to have to just pick your battles at a certain point. I mean, the world isn't divided into vaxxers and anti-vaxxers. I mean, there's, you know, 79% of the people people around the world uh, agree that vaccines were safe. This was according to a study that came out in 2019, and this was based on 140 different countries. Only seven people disagreed that vaccines were safe. And then there were 11% of people who neither agreed nor disagreed, and 3% of people who had no opinion. So if you're dealing with people who are staunchly anti-vaccine, you're maybe not going to win that battle. But if you're dealing with that significant, you know, 11 to 3% of people who are neither here nor there, that's where you want to focus your effort. Yeah, that's an interesting distinction. And then, you know, if you want to maybe take the easier way, there's the social approach. Can you kind of walk us through that, you know, how that might be the better way to go? Yeah, one of the experts I spoke to was pretty adamant that the social approach tends to be more successful. So that 
the top line for that one is basically that you are going to have a conversation with your loved one about the fact that vaccines are normal and that many people they know or love or admire are going to get them. So the first thing you want to do is point to someone else who might be getting the vaccine. So if you find an example of someone they know who has an intent to get one, um, the odds are that person may also get, your, your intended loved one may also get a vaccine. And that person could potentially be yourself. If you are the kind of person who falls into one of those high-risk categories who might have access to a coronavirus vaccine right away, you know, it may be enough to say, well, I'm one of the people for whom this vaccine is recommended and I'm going to get one. And you can be a positive role model in that way. But you also might not be the right messenger because if you disagree with that person on most other issues, the vaccine is not going to be the exception to that rule. So if you're looking for the right messenger, try to find somebody who that person admires or trusts. And if they're talking about getting a vaccine, then that's the right person to deliver that message. Interesting stuff. Listeners can head to inverse.com for the full story. In the meantime, Emma, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Tanya. Head to inverse.com to read more about the science-backed evidence that can help you win an argument. You can click on the link in the show notes for all stories we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at inverse.com. Look for The Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.